0: When you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David.
1: You are listening to Just Pod, baby. A Las Vegas Raiders podcast brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com. And now your host... Evan Grote. Let's go, Raider Nation. And welcome to Just Pod Baby. I'm your host, Evan Grote. Happy to be here with you again for another off-season edition of the show. Just Pod Baby is brought to you by Silver and Black Today, the one and only independent Raiders news source coming at you straight from the heart of the nation, Las Vegas. Up at the site right now, very good piece by one of our writers, Phil Robinson, titled, How Does the Las Vegas Raiders Defense Improve in 2021? I encourage you to check it out. As well as many other great pieces up at the site right now. And defense is the focus in this first segment here tonight. I will go through each position as I did last week and give you my grades for each of those. And I'll give you a little bit of a, a heads up. It's not going to be pretty. A lot of I had to get the red pen out like a bloodbath. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, also, this week we'll be joined by BD Williams, co-host of the popular YouTube show Tape Don't Lie. He's also a contributor at Just Blog Baby. And he's been doing a ton of work on Gus Bradley. So we're going to talk to him about some of the changes that we should expect to see with this defense in 2021. But tonight, I want to quickly get you caught up with some of the news this week. Uh, the Raiders and the Chargers have been doing some some coach swapping in the last couple of weeks. We know Gus Bradley is the new defensive coordinator with the Raiders. And along with him comes linebacker coach Richard Smith and DB coach Rod Miles. Both of those guys coming over with him from the Chargers. This week, the Chargers hired their head coach and former Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley many believed it was reported out there on, you know, by a lot of the NFL insiders that, that Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator for the bills was the lead candidate for that job, but it was Staley who gets the job. And, uh, you know he's a defensive-minded head coach, so we'll kind of see where that goes. Some people were a little bit surprised because they do have that great young quarterback there in Justin Herbert, uh, but but they decided to go with the defensive-minded head coach. And this week he's poached uh, Raiders tight end coach Frank Smith. Smith will be joining Staley as his new run game coordinator in Los Angeles. And Smith had a really good run with the Raiders, I thought, and he should be credited with the success. Of Darren Waller over the last two seasons, and and Foster Morrow as well. At least in his rookie year, uh, Morrow didn't really get much of a chance this past season. But Smith was a was a good coach, I thought, and, and he'll be missed. Um. So so that's a little bit of the news this week. Also, uh, there's some sources out there reporting that uh, Las Vegas Raiders defensive backs coach Jim O'Neill, who of course was probably going to be taken out of that role anyways with the incoming of uh, Ron Miles, but uh, O'Neill is going to be joining uh, Northwestern. Pat Fitzgerald as his new defensive coordinator. Um, I didn't realize that O'Neill had, had a history with uh, with Northwestern and, and Pat Fitzgerald. He was a and a defensive assistant an assistant there uh, back in 2003 and 2004. So. Uh, you know, uh, O'Neill will be moving on. And, uh, you know, the, the way that defensive back struggled last year, and I'm going to get into more of that later on in the show. But, uh, you know, he struggled at times. He didn't develop those young guys as much as you would like to see. And and now that's a job for uh, Ron Miles. So hopefully we'll see some improvements there in that, that group. But we do wish uh, Coach O'Neal the best of luck at Northwestern. All right, that's all I got for news this week. Uh, you know, we are in the offseason here, kind of, uh, kind of in a dead period for for breaking Raiders news. But uh, with that being said, let, let's get into uh, the defense. I want I want to get into my grades for the the twenty twenty defense, and I just want to start off with some quick general thoughts about the defense. I'm gonna throw some numbers out there at you, some stats. Uh, A lot of these uh, stats you probably are already aware of, and some of them maybe you're not. Points allowed, 30th in the league, 29.9 points a game. That is up from 26 points a game allowed in 2019. So they actually got worse from that perspective from 2019 to 2020. They were ranked 26th against the pass. They gave up 263 yards a game. They were 24th against the run, 125.8 yards per game. 30th in takeaways with 15. That's just not going to get it done. That's just not going to get it done. 29th in sacks with 21. 147 missed tackles. That led the NFL. 147 missed tackles. 30th. Uh, they ranked 30th on third down conversion rate. So they allowed 48.7% uh, conversion rate on third downs as a defense. And they also ranked dead last, allowing 11 points per game in the fourth quarter. So in the in the game's most important time, that's when they were at their worst, according to points allowed per game. So, you know, j- just a few numbers there for you to chew on. There's really no other way to say it other than this group was just, it was terrible. It was, it was just terrible. There was a, a lot of excitement, I think, coming into the season with the addition of Rod Marinelli. And the effect that he would have on that young defensive line, some new pieces at linebacker that got us excited. Corey Littleton was a big free agent signing, and Nick Kwiatkowski, and of course in the secondary, you know we we looked at Trayvon Mullen and, and Jonathan Abram as they entered their second year. That got us excited with the additions of Damon Arnett, one of the first round picks. Uh, you know we, we thought Amik Robertson might have a role coming into this year, but the that excitement. It didn't last long because it really was bad from the start. Uh, it was bad from the get-go, and, and, and things never really improved. In fact, I think they got worse as the season went on. They did get worse as the season went on. Paul Gunther, he was fired uh, following the, the 44-27 loss to the Colts in Week 14. It was probably about four weeks too late. Um, some would say maybe a season too late. I, I always defended Gunther. Uh, I always thought the issue was personnel. I, I think the truth kind of maybe falls somewhere in the middle. I think it's it's a little bit of both. Hopefully, uh, Gus Bradley can, can get a little bit more out of that roster that he has. Um, but it, it's back to the drawing board for this defense. And as I said, Gus Bradley is now the man who will be calling the shots and hopefully can get this defense to play at a respectable level very, very quickly. Now, I want to start out. We're going to start out with the defensive line and this is going to include defensive tackles, interior defensive linemen, as well as players on the edge. Uh, As I mentioned before, there was a lot of excitement surrounding this group for me. I I thought this group could actually be a strength of the defense when I think back uh, to training camp this past year. Max Crosby coming off an excellent rookie year and, and many of us were ready to see him take another uh, step forward, and Cleveland Farrell. There was a lot of talk about him, and he added uh, some weight in the offseason um between his rookie year and his sophomore years. And he vowed to be a, a different player. And, and then you had the addition of Malik Collins, who I thought was uh, going to be a big time difference maker. And you heard Gruden call him the key to the defense prior to the start of the season. And Carl Nassib, he's a guy who's coming off two of his better years. To go along with guys that you already had, and, and Maurice Hurst and Arden Key, again, guys that who who we we thought were ready to take the the next step, and and uh, you bring in Coach Rod Marinelli, who's a, who's a touted as a, a guru at the position, and that that did not happen. Twenty one sacks. Um, we're we're kind of back where we were um, with this defense, uh, where where they had that awful sack number the year they traded Khalil Mack kind of feels like they're back at square one. As far as this pass rush goes and they've invested a lot at the position. As far as draft picks are concerned, they've thrown money at some players and it just has not worked. Now, interestingly enough, they only had 21 sacks, but according to pro football reference, they rank 17th in pressures generated 22.8% of the time. So, uh, the issue was less about generating pressure uh, and just more about n- not getting home and not finishing. Now, I-, I felt like, you know, when you watch the games, you just didn't get a sense that they were getting enough pressure on the quarterback. Uh, but again, according to pr- Pro Football re- uh, Reference, they they did rank, you know, in-, in the middle of the league as far as generating pressure goes. So that's, that's one way you could look at it. Um I don't think the the group took a step forward at all and and outside maybe a guy like Cleveland Farrell and Maurice Hurst, you could say that every other player along this defensive line, I think they actually regressed. okay? Um, and And some may even argue about Cleveland Farrell because I think he only had one sack. But I do think he's he's a decent run defender. But as far as the pass rush goes, he he's not much of a factor there. The run defense, they they were uh, gashed late in the season. Uh, they got worse as the season went on. They gave up back-to-back games of 200-plus yards on the ground against the Jets and the Colts. And we know that, that injuries were a big part of it. They had a lot of players get banged up. COVID was a big issue for this, this position group as well. Carl Nassib was a healthy scratch some weeks uh, you could make the argument that the defensive line was was the weakest link on the defense. You could really make that argument. And because of all that stuff that I just I just told you there, uh, I, I gave the defensive line a grade of a D, okay? Expect some big time turnover in the coming months here once free agency gets underway. You won't see Malik Collins back. I don't see any way he's brought back. Jonathan Hankins, he's also a free agent. I'm not sure if if he returns as well. Arden Key and and Maurice Hurst, they enter the final years of their rookie deals, and and, and Key's going to be fighting for a roster spot this year. Uh, I I don't think it's a guarantee that he's with the team uh, next year, whether he doesn't make the team out of training camp. They could also save about $900,000 should they decide to, to cut him. I'm not sure if that's a route they'll go. Uh, but have not seen enough from him at all. And I expect this to be an area that they hit really, really hard in free agency and the draft, especially when we heard Gus Bradley talk about uh, in his his introductory press conference that it all starts up front. So you know there's lots of work to be done there, and I expect them to really hit this position hard. Now I want to move back to the, the linebackers. Another position group that saw some big-time additions in free agency, they went out there and threw some money at who many believed was one of the top linebackers available in free agency last year, Corey Littleton. People say he's one of the, the better, if not the best coverage linebacker going into this season. He was brought in to fix the problems in coverage. We didn't see that happen in year one. In reality, it was his worst season as a professional. He finished the year with zero sacks, zero interceptions, no forced fumbles and not one pass defended. That's just he's been he, he's a playmaker. He every year it the last couple of years I should say that's been his bread and butter. He makes plays, he get he's got a nose for the ball. He did a little bit of everything that is again, that's not what we saw this year. He missed plenty of tackles as well and he admitted he admitted that this season it went miserably for him. And I also heard him in a press conference where he explained he felt like a chicken out there with his head cut off. So clearly never was comfortable in in Gunther's system. Hopefully things will improve under Bradley. It has to. He must be a big part of this defense next year. And I thought, uh, moving on here to, to Nick Kwiatkowski, I thought he had a very good year. I really did. I like, I liked uh, what I saw from him. His presence on the defense was, was noticeable. When he was out there, you just saw a, a noticeable difference, I thought, with the defense. And, you know, he also spent time dealing with some injuries early in the season, and I believe he missed the final two games with COVID, if I'm not mistaken. It feels like COVID hit everybody on this team. He played in only 12 games but I do like what I saw from him. I felt he was as advertised coming in uh, as a free agent and he should only get better. I expect him to do uh, some really good things with this defense next year. Nicholas Morrow, he had a very good year as well. Really saw his snap counts increase starting in week nine and you know, he really became their most reliable linebacker and really started to uh, kind of bite into uh, Corey Littleton's snaps and, and, he was very good, very good in all aspects, made a couple plays, uh, interceptions, uh, sacks. He did a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. He continues to grow. Don't forget, this kid was a uh, Division Three player, so his learning curve was a lot bigger than some other players coming into the league, and he's a free agent this season. I think he deserves to be brought back, but it, it's yet to be seen. You know, what can he get on the open market? That's going to be the question. Does he want to test the market? He's only 25 years old. He's entering the prime of his career. Uh, I think it's going to be very wise to keep him around, but they got to get him at a, at a good number. What he's going to he's going to want to see what he can get on the open market, and that that will probably determine you know whether or not the Raiders will keep him. Raquan McMillan, he was barely used. You know, he was brought in um, not quite midseason. I think it was just before midseason. Um, known as a, a primarily as a run stopper, not very good in coverage. And, but just was never never really used. And it, looking back, in hindsight, looking back on that trade, it seems a little odd right now. Not Just not really given a chance, not much of an impact. He played in only 169 snaps. Uh, doesn't seem worth the pick to me at this point. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure he's also a free agent. I think he was uh, his uh, four-year deal. Uh, rookie contract expired this year. So I don't know what they're going to do with him as well. But overall... The the play from the linebackers it was it was it wasn't very good it wasn't as bad as the defensive line uh, that the expectations were much higher for this group I give them a C just not enough impact plays from them let's let's go back now to the secondary for me going into the season this was the one position group that I had the most question marks with because of the youth because of the youth and the inexperience and I think that really really showed up this year Trayvon Mullen he was uh, taking on that role as the team's number one cornerback, and he struggled at times. I, I think, you know, it was a disappointing season from him. Last year, his rookie year, I, I thought he showed some really good signs, he showed some really good flashes. Um, that that led us to believe that he he could be a legit corner in this league, but um we didn't see it enough this year. Uh we just didn't see it consistent enough from him this year. So I think that's what I wanna, you know, see from him next year is just being a little bit more consistent with his play. More good plays, less bad plays. Damon Arnett, no way around it. It was a, a horrendous rookie year from him. Uh just couldn't stay healthy. That that was one part of it. And when he was on the field, he was he wasn't very good. Gave up catches left and right, and 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 because of some of those injuries that we saw to Arnett, we we saw way too much Nevin Lawson this year. And, and believe it or not, I was looking at Pro Football Focus. Nevin Lawson was the the highest graded quarterback on the team. Okay. And so what's what's that tell you about the secondary? I mean, that tells you all you need to know right there about the secondary when Nevin Lawson is your highest-graded cornerback. I think it was like a 55. So, um, you know, those injuries really really took a toll, and it, and it forced guys who maybe weren't ready, or not, I shouldn't say ready, but who, who you don't want to see out there as much forced into to play more than than you want and 67 percent of the snaps that's what uh that's what nevin lawson played this year so he's a guy you feel comfortable with playing a few snaps a game filling in here and there but you you don't want him to be your starting cornerback that's not what he does and then you had the youngsters isaiah johnson and, and Keyshawn nixon it, they got themselves a little bit more experience this year i think they both played less than 200 snaps i think it was somewhere in the 150s and i think johnson showed the most promise made some plays in that first char- chargers meeting don't forget he made a couple plays down uh in the final moments of the game and i'm i'm not ready to throw the towel in on him i was very high on him going into the season and i'm very excited to see what ron miles can do with this kid because he has he has the tools and i think he showed some 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 things that you look for that you like i just think he needs more more uh, experience and he you know he did get a little bit more this year but just not enough um Lamarcus Joiner he's another guy continues to look like a bust just continues to look like a bust of a free agent signing he's not uh, not an impact player for this team he doesn't make any plays just does not make plays um people a lot of people out there still believe he's playing out of position whether he's in the slot or you th- some people want to believe he should be moved back to safety I don't really know how I feel about that. I just don't think he's very good. I think they should move on with him. They can cut him uh, this season, and that'll save him, uh, save him a good chunk of money. Not a huge uh, hit to the dead cap number. Uh, and then I, I also want to mention uh, Meek Robertson, because he is a guy who is a former guest of the podcast, and a lot of people thought he could be a steal. Uh, he had great success at... Uh, uh louisiana tech and uh they they thought we we thought he could come in and and play in in the slot and make some plays and be a difference maker that's not what we saw 35 snaps he never really got a chance and and who can forget his first play as a pro gives up a touchdown first play as a pro gives up a touchdown in the buffalo game so it was kind of all downhill from there but i do like this kid's attitude again i spoke with him I think he's got the right mindset, and I think it's going to really motivate him to uh, you know try to do try to do more next year. So uh, keep an eye on him going into next season. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I want to talk about Jonathan Abram coming off the shoulder injury. We we really didn't know what to expect from him, right? Uh, he only played in a half of the of the first game last year. Um, people weren't really sure what kind of player he truly is, and what we saw was the lowest graded safety in all of football, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, Had issues in coverage. Communication issues seemed like an issue. And just, it it appeared that he just didn't know his assignments. Think back to that second Kansas City meeting on that, that final touchdown to Travis Kelsey. Just never really knew where he was supposed to be. That was an issue. Poor angles, a lot of missed tackles, uh, penalized far too often. So just a, a, a miserable year for him as well. But all of that negative stuff being said, I still believe in this kid. I really, again, I love his attitude like Mameek Robertson. It was his first full season. You got to cut him a little bit of slack. It was essentially his rookie year. I like the attitude. He's got the work ethic. He's a, he's a football junkie. He loves the game. I know he can turn it around and and I and I expect him to I expect to, to see a different player next year a, a brand new Jonathan Abram the last two names I want to mention in the secondary, Eric Harris and Jeff Jeff Heath. I, I, look, I think it's time to move on from the, the Eric Harris experiment. It's a great story. I love this story. Perseverance, hard work, all those things. Seems like a great dude. He's a family man, and I can respect all that, but it's time to move on and, and get a guy back there that can actually help this team. He's an unrestricted free agent, and and I, I don't expect him back with the Raiders. I hope he can prolong his career and maybe— Sign on with another team, but I just don't see a future with the Raiders unless it's some sort of, uh, you know, low low pay, minimum league minimum, veteran minimum, special team role, backup role, something of that nature, and uh, that that leads me to Jeff Heath. Uh, You know, he actually led the team with interceptions, so at least he made a couple plays here and there. He only played in thirteen games, but. Three interceptions on the season. He's also a free agent. Don't expect him back with the team either. The Raiders, listen, what they need to do, and I don't want to get too much into free agency, but they need to go out and they need to add a veteran at safety. And I'm not talking about a guy in his 30s who's at the back end of his career. I'm talking about a guy who's maybe 25, 26, even 27 in the prime of his career right now with some years under his belt who is a a damn good player? They need someone back there. They absolutely do. Marcus May is the guy we keep hearing about. We keep hearing about Marcus May. Uh, and again, I'm going to save the free agency talk for another day. We'll get we'll take a deep dive into who's going to be out there, who's going to be available in some of the uh, um, upcoming episodes. But the the grade for the secondary is a D minus. I feel they were the weakest unit on the defense, so I got to go with a the D minus there. All right, those are my grades for the defense this year. And it's time to get to a break. When I return, we'll be joined by contributor at Just Blog Baby and co host of the Tape Don't Lie podcast, Mr. BD Williams. We're going to discuss Gus Bradley and what we can expect to see from his defense next season. Be right back. on just pod baby talking defense this week let's go out to the guest line now and bring in our guest this week bd williams who is a contributor at just blog baby and he's the co-host of the the youtube show tape don't lie bd's been killing it lately with all the work he's been doing on gus bradley glad to have you back on the show bd man how's it going
0: hey evan uh thanks for having me man appreciate it
1: no problem thanks for uh thanks for hopping on again with me I i love talking with you um and I mean it when I say it b d you have been doing a great job lately with your film study uh, on twitter and and with the the articles you 've been putting out on, on just blog baby and and you know to inform people with with who Gus Bradley is and, and what he likes to do with this defense and I, I want to start tonight. Um, with with just kind of giving some of the listeners out there uh, just a basic uh, information about what is the cover three defense. We we know that traditionally that has been uh, Bradley's calling card uh, throughout the years. But for those of us who, who who have a basic understanding of the game, what exactly is the cover three defense, and what are some of the benefits of running a defense like that?
0: Yeah, so uh, cover three. I mean, that's one of the most basic uh, defenses in all of football. Of course, if you play, you know, Pop Warner or high school football, it looks drastically different when when you get to the NFL. Um, There's a lot of modern, you know, tweaks and adjustments that NFL defenses have had to make over the years. And so one of the benefits, you know, people are a little worried about Gus Bradley being a cover three coach. One of the benefits is, you know, he's been calling the same defense in the NFL with a proven track record of success for, like, the last uh, 12 years, Uh, you know. So he's seen all the things that NFL offenses do, and he has, you know, little tweaks, little adjustments that he can make here and there. And really, you know, cover three is all about having one safety deep and one safety in the box. So you have a constant eight-man front, but there's a lot more uh, flexibility that you have within cover three that you might not have if you're playing, like, a cover one where everyone's playing man across the board. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the crux of it uh three deep four underneath his own defense
1: Now you you were talking about uh over the years, maybe things changing slightly, kind of tinkering. Defensive coordinators tinkering with the the traditional cover three. And just this week, you you put out a piece for Just Blog Baby where you talked about the the evolution of the cover three, uh, maybe from w- what it has been since the days of the Legion of Boom over in Seattle, and, and some of the coaches from that era that have gone on to have success impl- impl- implementing uh, their version of the cover three in today's game. So talk to us a little bit about some of the things that coaches are doing a little bit different now with that cover three?
0: Well, um, the biggest thing that you can do when you're talking about cover three is you have four underneath defenders. So you have a flat defender, a hook defender, a hook defender on the other side and a flat defender on the other side, right? And what you can do as a cover three coach is you can mix and match. Is that a safety? Where do you want the safety to be? You know, is it a linebacker? Where do you want the nickel to play? And so you have a lot of different combinations of guys who can play underneath that keeps offenses guessing, Uh, But you're still playing the same basic uh, coverage, so it allows your defenders to play fast. So that's one thing, uh, you know. And then the other thing is um, most cover three in the NFL right now, it's not that classic spot drop, like you go here, you go here, you go here. What they're doing is uh, they're incorporating man principles into the coverage. So you kind of get the best of both worlds you know, one half of the field might be playing, uh, like a match or a man type of coverage. And then the other half of the field is playing a true zone. So there's a lot of things that defensive coordinators have done over the years to make it resemble maybe post snap. It looks almost like a cover four, but it ends up being a cover three that confuses quarterbacks. Uh, even the best of the quarterbacks, you know, uh, uh, Tom Brady was gotten on a a look like that by the Rams, uh, you know, earlier this year. So, They have been tweaking with the rules of the cover three, and I do really think it's one of the most flexible coverages in football right now.
1: Bd Williams is our guest tonight, host of Tape Don't Lie uh, on YouTube, and also contributor at Just Blog Baby. Uh, one thing I want you to clear up for us: I saw you tweeting about this. I think it was last week or maybe the week before. Uh, through your film study, I know you've been doing a lot of tape study with with Gus Bradley and his defenses uh, throughout the years, and most recently with the Chargers. Could you clear up the 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 myth that's out there that he's strictly a cover three guy? I know that you've been kind of pointing out that he actually ran that defense maybe a little bit less than what people thought here in the recent years
0: well i mean look it's his base package he's going to be in cover three you know as much as any coach in the nfl but you can't you know it doesn't matter who you are you can't just stick in one coverage all game long um so every nfl defense if you know if it's the dan Quinn's or the robert Salez or the you know todd wash all the seattle tree guys they're not just 100 percent cover three obviously they're going to have all different different types of coverages in their playbook okay Um, and you know, what I noticed the first, the very first thing I looked at when I looked at Gus Bradley was what he called on third and longs and he, it it gets very multiple. There's a big mix of different coverages that he likes to use in third and long situations. Um, and I think that, you know, from one game to the next, they don't resemble each other. So I think it is a game plan specific um you know kind of coverage plan that they have going into the game to take away the tendencies of the opposing team and he does, he gives quarterbacks opposing quarterbacks a really tough time to convert um, passing on third and longs and i think that's part of you know switching these things up when, when it gets in that situation
1: now as i mentioned i know you've been doing a lot of a lot of uh, film study of Gra- gus bradley what are some of the 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 most important principles of a Gus Bradley defense and maybe uh, where are some of the areas where you are expecting to see that the greatest area of growth and maybe even through an individual player as well?
0: Yeah. So the, the beauty of the scheme is because, you know, he has so many, I mean, he's going to have, you know, 15 different types of cover three that he calls and, you know, from one call to the next, the majority of the defenders are doing the same thing. Uh, It might just be, like, a safety switching spots, going to the strong side, going to the weak side, um, playing in the hook, playing in the curl, you know, things like that, that, you know, just slight little tweaks, little iterations of the cover three. And what it allows everyone else to do, while it looks different to the quarterback, it allows everyone else to, you know, play fast, trust their technique, you know, get those reps over and over and over again so they can actually get really good at something, right, instead of maybe, like, like a Paul Gunther defense where, they're running all these different types of coverages, and they're nev- they never had a chance to get good at one of them, right? So that's something that I think sh- uh, fans should be excited about. You're going to see, um, you know, the corners, the safeties. I think that you're going to see improved play from them just because if you look at all of the years of Gus Bradley's defenses, you know, mid-round corners and safeties have always played so well in, in his scheme. So I, I expect big-, big things from Jonathan Abram. I expect the big things from uh, obviously Trayvon Mullen, but also Isaiah Johnson. I think is really perfect for this scheme.
1: And of course, uh, his defensive back coach, Ron Miles from from the Chargers, is coming over along with him. And we've been hearing nothing but great things about him as a coach. So I do agree with you. I hope to see some some further development uh, in in that secondary. Uh, BD, I, I know you spend. Um, all season I, on your podcast uh, with with Marcus Johnson, Tame Don't Lie, and if you don't, if you're not following that podcast, guys, you, you got to go out there and do that on YouTube. Go ahead and subscribe to that; it's a great show. But I know you're the, you're the defensive guy on that show. Um, So you've spent a lot of time uh, watching the Raiders' defense. You know where a lot of their weaknesses are, some of their strengths, and you've also recently been spending time with Gus Bradley. When you look at the way the roster is currently constructed for the Raiders on defense, what are some of the the things or the pieces that are missing right now that Gus Bradley will probably be looking to add?
0: Well, the biggest thing that I've noticed from from Gus Bradley is he, uh, and I think that this is why Marinelli and him are going to get along. He really prefers defensive alignment across the board to get penetration uh, into the backfield, and he's going to forego the run a little bit, and it's come as a detriment uh, this last year at least uh, from the Chargers. They had they did have better run defense early on in, in his time there, um, but he he likes you know the the skinnier, taller defensive tackles who can who can be pass rushers first, cause some disruption into the backfield, and uh, I you know the way that this roster is. Oriented right now, based off of you know the last four years of his defense, not not counting going back to um, Seattle. I don't know. I, I think that we're going to see a shakeup on the defensive line. I don't know if Jonathan Hankins really has a place, which would be unfortunate because I'm a big Jonathan Hankins fan. But I think that he uh, Gus Bradley does prefer gap shooting, penetration oriented defensive tackles. So Maurice Hurst should you know uh, play well in this game. He should be you know a starter. But I do think that they're going to look to you know bring some guys in on the outside. And also, not to get too too far into the weeds and too jargony here, but uh, Paul, Paul Gunther was a 4-3 over coach. So you're, if you're in base, you have three stand-up linebackers behind the line of scrimmage. Gus Bradley likes to run a lot of what's called an under front. So you kind of shift the defensive line one way, and then on top of the tight end, on the line of scrimmage, you have a linebacker. Who sets the edge and uh, I don't think that they, we have like a really a Sam linebacker and a 4-3 under front on this roster right now so uh, I would expect them to bring in a bigger heavier kind of linebacker who could set the edge um, I don't know if that guy's on the roster right now.
1: Have, have you had a chance to dive into any of the, the the possible free agents out there or or maybe some of the, the prospects coming out in the draft that you think might be a, a fit for this Raiders defense under Gus Bradley?
0: Yeah, there's a guy uh, from Tulsa named David Collins. You know, he's getting a lot of first-round buzz right now. He's he's a very interesting prospect. He's he's a very big linebacker. You know, he's like a six foot four, two hundred sixty-pound linebacker. Uh, he plays a lot of off-ball, which is you know, if you're six foot four, two hundred sixty pounds, usually in college, you're playing on the line of scrimmage. And I do think he has the potential um, to you know uh, you know play a little closer to the line of scrimmage when he gets into the NFL. Uh, I, you know, I would do a flip if the Raiders were able to get him. You know, he could play that Sam linebacker in the, um, you know, in the 4-3 under front, and then when they get into nickel, he could, you know, slide in, maybe a, as, a, as a pass rusher, uh, maybe similar to how they use Melvin Ingram in, in Los Angeles, maybe uh, kick uh, Cleveland Furrow down to, to rush from the interior. So uh, I, I, I could see something like that happening, but, you know, we'll see. I, I don't want to uh, get too far ahead of myself here.
1: <laughs> yeah, awesome job again, BD. And make sure you go out there and follow uh, BD on Twitter, at BDWilliams18. Uh, check out his work at Just blog Baby. He's doing a lot of great stuff, uh, as always. And also, subscribe to the, his YouTube podcast, along with his partner, Marcus Johnson, Tape Don't Lie. Uh, you're you're going to love it. He explains things uh, to you for guys like myself who, who need to learn a little bit more about the game but BD thanks for joining me as always and keep up the great work my friend
0: hey Evan I really appreciate it man keep doing the great work
1: all right so there you heard from a friend of the show BD Williams I love chatting with the tape don't lie boys I really respect their opinions and as I've said many times here on this show make sure you subscribe to their podcast channel on uh, YouTube all right, guys, just some quick final thoughts. I want to end tonight with my picks for this weekend's conference championship games. I want to start with the NFC. I think Aaron Rodgers will continue his FU tour this weekend. The Packers have been the best team in the NFC all season long, and although I never like to bet against Tom Brady in a big game, I do see Rodgers and the Packers advancing in this one. And a quick stat for you, this is Rodgers' fifth time playing in a conference tournament or conference title game. Uh, But it's the first time it's being played in Lambeau Field. I really feel that Lambeau Field gives you a true home field advantage. It's going to be cold, and there's going to be a small number of fans in attendance. So I do think that is the difference in this one. And then moving over to the AFC, all Raider fans are Bills fans this week. So go Bills. Uh, But but how can you pick against the Chiefs? What is Mahomes like? 25-1 and in his last 26 starts. Even with the hurt foot coming off the concussion, they just have too many weapons. And with Andy Reid calling the shots, it's just the perfect marriage. Uh, I do feel the Bills are equipped to keep up with and score with Kansas City. I just don't know if they'll be able to do it. Um, The key to this one could actually come down to the defenses, which, one will make a few stops force a few punts maybe a turnover that could be the difference in this game I think it'll be higher scoring uh, but the Chiefs do do win it in the end and just another quick fun fact for you about about this one Maybe the Bills have some karma working for them this weekend. The last time they were in the AFC Championship game was way back in 1993. Uh, Of course, that was the, the last of their four consecutive trips to the Super Bowl. And in that game, guess who they had to beat in that conference championship game to get to that Super Bowl? That's right, the Kansas City Chiefs. So think about that for a second. All right, guys, time for me to get out of here this week. Thanks again to our guest, B.D. Williams. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Give me a follow on Twitter at egroat 5 Please subscribe to the podcast as well. Leave me a rating and a review. I'd love to hear some feedback from you guys. And we will chat next week. In the meantime, enjoy the games on Sunday. And as always, just win, baby.